Now, does it ever feel that we are living through a period where there has never been as many rules and regulations as we are enduring at this moment in time? I mean, every building that you have to go into, you have to wear a mask. Uh, You have to be two meters apart at all times. And hopefully next week, we'll be able to go into uh, a coffee shop. And when you get into that coffee shop, you won't need to wear a mask because you're sitting in. But if you're only getting a carryout, you will need to wear a mask because you wear a mask when you're doing a carryout. So all these rules and regulations, and we never know what we're doing with all of them. Um, As James was saying to us last week, as he was going through the first half of Galatians chapter three, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to church, you might think that actually that's all that the church, that's all that the Bible is really about, is that it's about laws, it's about rules, it's about regulations. And when we come to the Bible itself, at times can seem a a little bit confused because there are moments when it's really positive about the laws. For instance, if I read Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. It's always with me. And so we read at times that it's The law is a wonderful thing, that the law helps you. It makes you wise. You should always have it. And so the law is a good thing. And then there are times, for instance, as we've been reading now in Galatians and uh, at other sections in the Bible, that that actually the law isn't a great thing because uh, it can't save you. It can't really look after you in in, in that way. And And it's a burden and it's a nasty thing almost. So we're left confused. And I have to admit that the Bible passage we've read today is dense. It's uh, lots of words. It's not the easiest to, to understand. So I'm asking for your forbearance as we look at this passage. And as I then come to this passage now, I think I'm going to make a huge oversimplification. I'm going to get there in a moment. But I think that most people understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in that, well, one is old, one is new. The Old Testament is telling you all that was happening before Jesus, and the New Testament is telling you all that happened from Jesus and after that. But here's my oversimplification, that the entire message of the Bible, if you're going to try and boil it down to one simple message, I think that we might say, it is to answer this type of question. How can I know God? How can I, get, how can I be saved? How can I get to heaven? And if you're maybe trying to boil it all down, really that's the message that the Bible has been trying to answer. Those big questions. But of course, most of the time we don't need to think about those big questions because we get distracted. We're busy with life. We have work to get on with. We have things to do. Family life is ever so busy and there are burdens and there are stresses with that and we get preoccupied with those things so much so that we don't need to think at times about those big questions. I mean, how to get to heaven? How how can I be saved? And and a lot of people can, can ignore all those things almost forever. But then there are times when it seems that God scrapes away 
at the surface of our lives. And we can't avoid those big questions. You know, life can get very raw. Life can get very difficult. And in those difficulties, it may be that God is, as it were, prodding us and and speaking into our lives just at those points and in those moments. And if that's something that has been happening to you in any time recently, I wonder what it is that the answer you're looking for. And is it the, is it the answer that the Bible's going to give? I was saying a moment ago, I've been oversimplifying things. I'm now going to get very dense and thick uh, with all of this. Uh, I'm going to show you a way in which many theologians understand the Bible. And one of those things is called the Covenant of Works. That's the Old Testament, as it were. And in many ways, it's, it's presenting the law. And the law was presented in a way as, do this, don't do this. And if you can do this, and if you keep all those laws, then what's going to happen is that you're going to live. That's how you get eternal life. That's how you get to heaven. It's because of these laws. You follow the law and you get to heaven. And that's the way many people understand the Old Testament, the covenant of works. In other words, it's the things that you had to do, works. And then the way people and some theologians understand the New Testament is that, well, it's called the covenant of grace. And the reason we need this new covenant is because you were never going to be able to keep the old covenant of works because simply you could never keep the laws. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had counted up 614 different laws that you should keep. But if you could never keep any of those laws, there was no way that you were ever going to get to heaven. So that's why you need the new covenant of grace which is the fact that Jesus met all those laws. He fulfilled all those laws, all those things that you couldn't do. Jesus fulfilled them. He met the standard and he paid the price for that by dying for you. That's what it's all about, New Testament theologians would say. And so therefore you just take that free offer of grace that Jesus offers and you can get to heaven. And because you don't deserve it and because it's unmerited, it's grace. And so that's how we understand the difference between those two covenants, as it were. And that's what the Bible teaches. But, but it's not so simple. And that's what these verses are about. I want you to look with me just now at verse 16. And I want you to look at the first six verses of Galatians 3, 16. And we read them together. It says, the promises were spoken to Abraham. Now, if you get that, what you're going to get when you hear those words is that the promise, grace, was spoken to Abraham. And then looking down to verse 17, Then you hear when the law came, the law came 430 years later. So the order that we're building up here is at one point God said, 
I'm just going to make this promise to Abraham that, that you're going to find life with me. I'm going to give you this. You don't deserve it. And God made that very visible to Abraham and he made that promise to Abraham. Then, 430 years later, he says, here's the law. And if you keep this law, that's how you're going to get to heaven. And then 1,450 years later, Jesus came and Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven, there's no way you can meet that. You need free grace. You need the free offer of this. Just take it. Now, if that's the order, and what we're saying is that it started with grace, then law came, and then it ended with grace, what we're saying in the Bible is that what it's really always about, the message has always been, you are saved by grace not of yourselves, not of your works. Grace was the only thing that you were ever going to be able to get to heaven by. There was no way you could ever meet that. You couldn't ever do it yourself. If you think today that you can, by your efforts, keep God happy, it was never going to work. It always had to be of grace. And the question that you should be asking is the question that Paul asks down in verse 19. Because he says, if it was always grace, verse 19, why, why was the law ever given? I mean, if God was always going to save you by grace, why did he ever give you the law? Why was the law given to the Old Testament people in Moses' time? And the answer to that, the first answer, is that it was to show you what sin is like. Bottom line is that there is something within us that rebels and wants to do the wrong thing. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of a fancy hotel in Galveston, Texas, on the, sh on the shore of the Gulf of Mexico. That hotel, I think it's, called, it's the flagship hotel, and it is built out on a pier so that it has uninterrupted views of the ocean below. Now, just before that hotel opened, the management had a, a worry. Then that worry was, what happens if people start fishing from their balconies? So they put signs up on all the windows. Don't fish from your balcony. And for years, it caused endless bother because all those people were out there fishing from their balconies and their lines were getting twisted up with the people below and the people up high. And because this is sea fishing, there will be heavy weights that they're throwing out uh, attached to their lines. And those lines would come back. And the first floor, the entire first floor of that was the fancy restaurant. And while you were sitting in that restaurant, you would get used to the banging of the lead weights against the window. And occasionally, the windows would smash. And that was life in the flagship hotel. Do you know how they fixed their problem? They took the signs off the windows. And when the sign was taken away, people no longer thought about fishing from their windows because it was the law that was put there that made them think about wanting to fish just because the law was written. And that's what the law does when it's Written down, it shows you what's really inside you because you want to break it. Now, the second reason, that's again, it's in this passage, the second reason the law was given was to point you to Jesus. 
Because you could never meet the law yourself, you needed someone who could meet that standard where you couldn't. And so you need to accept what Jesus offers, that free grace, that life in him. Now, if we're understanding law is necessary because it shows us sin and it shows us Jesus, but we need the grace. What we need is the two of them together. Now, if you're one of these people today who say, I don't like the law, I only want to live by grace, you're talking nonsense, I'll just put it that way, because law and grace always play together. You can't have one without the other. You need them both to work together in your life. So when you're reading the Bible, you should always be reading the Bible with gospel glasses on. You should all, even when you come to a law, even when you come to something that is saying, do this or don't do that, you should also be reading that with gospel grace. I mean, let's today think of an example. We can get one law and we're going to try and read that with gospel glasses of grace. I'm going to think of one law, a typical one, found in Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments, and that one is, you shall not steal, the Eighth Commandment. And then thinking about how we read that with gospel glasses, because it's a law, but how do we read it with grace? What does it show us? Well, there's four things I'm going to encourage you to do every time you read a law. The first one is to think that actually the law speaks to you revelation. It shows you something. Now, the first question you can ask when you read that law, do not steal, is what sort of person could possibly tell me don't steal? And the only person who could, in all honesty and authenticity, say don't steal is someone who would never steal. Someone that is dependable, someone who is reliable, someone who would not rob you, someone who would not cheat you, someone who would never hold out on you, someone who is not out for himself but is out for you. That person is Jesus. So a law in that sense shows us something about God, but it also confronts us at times. Because another question we can ask when we read a law is, what sort of person needs to be told, don't steal? And the sort of person who needs to be told not to steal is someone who would steal, is someone who would look out for themselves before other people. And so at times we need the Bible to confront us, to show us what we're really like and to challenge us. It's embarrassing when we, when we have God speaking to us in that way, but that's how the Bible works. And now another thing that the, the Bible speaks when we read a law is that it, yeah, it tells us what to do. If you go this way, it'll work out better for you. So it, it, it's showing us, it's instructing us how to live. Here is a way that is going to make a real difference in your life and in the lives of others. You're not going to be able to do that perfectly, but we can walk it in reliance upon Jesus. And of course, another way to read any law is with an understanding of promise because ultimately God has promised that these laws, these laws that we can't keep, these laws that we struggle with, one day in Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to write these laws on your heart. And they're not going to be abstract and they're not going to be cold and they're going to be warm, they're going to be caring, they're going to be loving and it's going to be so part of you and it's going to make such a difference in your life that everything's going to be changed. And even in this world, 
We're going to struggle, but it's not until we get to heaven itself that suddenly everything all fits together. And thanks to the finished work of Jesus and by the work of his Holy Spirit, we're going to be changed and we're going to be cleansed and we're going to be different people. And we're going to be so thankful for that. But right now, we can struggle with any law that's written there, even when we try to read it with gospel glasses. And we might struggle to the extent that we would say, if I can't do this, I'm just not going to bother. Eugene Peterson, who passed away earlier this year, uh, wrote a book on Galatians. And when he comes to Galatians chapter 3, he actually entitles this chapter his story. And the way that he writes about it, he says... Because of what Jesus has done, you are free to fail. And you don't need to be worried about failing. And normally it's because we are so fearful of failing that we don't want to try. So even when it comes to following God and putting Jesus first and and trying to do what God wants us to do, what actually may hold us back from doing that is the thought is that I will fail and I can't do this, so I'm not going to do it. But when we realize that we never could do it and that Jesus has done it for us, all that we need to do is to trust him. And so we can, in that sense, what Eugene Peterson writes about is we can aim for the moon. We can say, I'm going to, I'm really going to try and be like Jesus. And I'm going to have his character upon my life. And I want to follow that. And I want Jesus to be represented in my life. And I want that to change my relationships. And I want that to change what I do at work. And I want that to change my behavior. And we won't be afraid of failing because we know that Jesus has met that for us. And he lifts us up. And so we will actually treat the Bible very seriously. You know, look at the way in which and how closely Paul treats the Bible. Down in verse 16, he constructs an argument from the difference between a plural word and a singular word. That's how seriously Paul treats the Bible. And the hardest thing in the world at times may be when the Bible confronts us and it challenges us, and it's hard. And it can be awkward being in that spot. But I wonder today, are we prepared to listen to what Jesus is saying to us through his word, by his Holy Spirit? To let these words impact our lives, and even though we feel we can't do it in and of ourselves, we simply realize Jesus already has done it for us. And he offers us forgiveness. And he offers us grace. So we cling to that. He leads you, he guides you, he'll be with you. So we read law and grace. We need the both of them. And we read it with gospel glasses. Let's pray. Father, we are imperfect. And there's no point trying to pretend to be 
anything different or any other than that. And as you show us yourself, you also show us ourselves. But may our vision not rest upon ourselves, but upon you. And Lord, we thank you for grace, for the forgiveness of Jesus, for the wonderful salvation that he has made possible for us. All of grace, not of works, so that no one can boast. Amen.